to our scripture reading, and it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, and we'll be reading verses 22 to 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let us pray. Lord, this is your precious word, and we give you thanks. We ask now, as we are sitting at home, in our car, or in this sanctuary, God, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into worshiping you, that you would allow us to eat this bread, your word, living word, that we would soak in your thoughts, and God, that we would not be conformed by the world's thoughts, but that, God, we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we are your servants. We want to be clay in your hands. Mold us, feed us, nourish us, and help us to see you in the midst of storms. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to ask you a question. How's your stress level these days? Stress has a funny way of doing something to us. The article, uh, Psychology, said stress causes us to have all these bottled-up emotions, and it just builds up, and we build it up and build it up, and all of a sudden, when we can't hold it in, stress causes it to just explode, and usually we explode on the people closest to us. So you may be snappy with family, maybe snappy with friends, maybe snappy with your wife or husband, or you may be snappy with people on Facebook. But we're in a time of unprecedented stress in our lifetime, Because we haven't, this is a normal that we haven't expected. We didn't, in February, we didn't think this was going to happen. And so even pastors, I'm part of a Facebook group, private group of pastors on Facebook nationwide. And you could have all the arguments about doctrine and biblical interpretation. But only recently have I seen such biting and, and just rage by pastors against one another. So pastors are asked to leave the group or pastors are leaving the group in droves because they're, they're bickering. They're bickering about masks. Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Let's not be controlled. Should we sing in church? We shouldn't sing in church. God calls us to worship. We shouldn't put the, put the people at harm's way. 
and politics, you name it. Everything right now, people are so stressed, it's just coming out in, in droves. And so this disagreement has have, have always existed. But what's new right now is that there's such a rage against one another and hostility that you would think amongst Christians there would be a lot more mercy and grace or just love. And so Bishop N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar and author, and in his book, God and the Pandemic, which is a short read, which I read this week, and it was so good, he writes, we sometimes have the impression that the coronavirus is providing people with a megaphone with which to say more loudly what they were wanting to say anyway. So I find that very insightful, that the coronavirus isn't giving us new ideas, but it's allowing the ideas that maybe even prejudiced ideas, maybe sinful ideas, or just biased ideas, the stress and the pandemic is allowing us to just scream it out uninhibited. And so today's title is Writing Out the Storm. And writing out the storm, how do we handle and take heart, hold of our heart and our words? And so two key points I want to show today is, is this. This is the whole sermon key point. Every tribulation, trial, stressful situation, every hardship has to be seen in the context of Christ's rule and reign. In other words, we can't say, Jesus, you risen, he is risen on Easter, he's glorious, and then on Monday, we're panicking because we're stressed out about life. Every stress has to be seen in the context of Christ's rule and reign. And second, this one... Both of these, if you notice, are not eye-opening, revolutionary. They're, you know these things. Second one is, I cannot control what is happening in the world, but I can respond with faith in Christ. I can control how I respond. You've heard that before. So I'm going to keep that up there for now. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, 23, 33, and kind of look at this. And the backdrop is this. This is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I had a beautiful video, but it just didn't work out well. And the backstory of Matthew 14 is there at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus has just been teaching all day to thousands of people, and they were hungry, so he fed them. The title in your Bible might say, Jesus Feeds 5,000, but that's actually very inaccurate. There's two inaccurate titles in this chapter, if I do say so. And that's just a modern editing. But... Matthew 14, 21 says this, And those who ate were 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus fed, I think, at least eight to 10,000 individuals, that miracle feeding. So Jesus says, uh, disciples, I'll be right with you. Why don't you guys go into the middle of the sea and, and go on over to the other side, and I'll dismiss the crowd. So he dismisses a crowd of thousands of people. And why does he do that? He's going up to the mountaintop to pray to God. Even Jesus had time with God in prayer. And so scripture tells us it was the fourth watch of the night. You know what time that is? That's a time when if military people get up, that's three to six a.m. in the morning. Uh, it's, if you could do it, it's great. It's hard. But it's 3 to 6 in the morning. Jesus comes down from the mountain, and he's ready to go join the disciples. But they are far, far, far into the middle of the sea. And it says it was 
a sea in torment, according to the Greek. The waters were choppy. Wind was blowing, and Jesus saw it far off. So he decides, I'm going to go walk over to them. Uh, Now, this explains why the disciples were not sleeping. The wind and the waves were so choppy. You can't sleep in a boat that's like 15 foot long in a sea like that. And so they're awake, and let's give the disciples some benefit of doubt because I show this to my own children. It's 4 in the morning, and you see this. How do you feel? I mean, it's 4 in the morning. You're sitting in a boat. You see little star moon glaze and, and just this hint of light. And you see this figure on the waters walking towards you. How do you feel? I think the most courageous people will have their hearts stutter. And so Jesus approaches them and they are saying, it's a ghost. They're, they're freaking out. Uh, their stress level shot up. And I love what Jesus says. You hear his teacher's shepherd's heart. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Therseo, in Greek, take heart. Do not be afraid. That was one of Jesus' favorite commands. And some of you need to hear that today, that the storms are all around us. And Jesus says to us today, Therseo, take heart. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is there. He said that to a woman caught it, uh, touching his cloak after she was bleeding for 12 years. She was desperate. She spent all her money and she just wanted a miracle and she got it. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And she was so scared. And he says to her, Tharseo, be, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. He says it to the disciples when he warns them, there will be a time in your life. And, and get this, Christianity is not about this smooth living and 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 crisis-free life. He says, you're going to have tribulation in John chapter 16. You're going to have a hardship. And that's not encouraging. But Jesus says, when you have tribulation, Tharseo, be encouraged. Do not be afraid. Why? He says to them, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. And so Jesus comes to us in the storm he doesn't notice he doesn't take away the storm and everything is bright rainbow pops up mermaids are singing and fish are flying out jesus is in the midst of this darkness and he comes with disciples and so this text in the bible says jesus walks on water so how many of you see that in your bible i think it should be called peter walks on water because jesus is son of god if he could create this universe with words i'm not gonna be far-fetched to believe that he walked on water but peter that's a surprise so the first miracle is jesus walked on water second miracle is that peter walked on the water and then we have a third miracle that as soon as they enter the boat what happened to the wind and the waves they ceased coincidence we don't know i think that's the power of god so we're going to talk into that heading into this section and so peter's faith in this moment is verse 28. And Peter answered him when Jesus says, it's me. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's an incredible request. Of all the ways Jesus could have confirmed himself. Think about it. Tell me to come to the water. I would have said, Jesus, if it's you, come a little closer. Why did Peter say, tell me to come to you on the water? I don't know. 
And that could be a fun discussion you could have. Why did Peter, of all requests to confirm it was Jesus, ask Jesus to invite him to the water? Verse 29. So Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Just visualize that. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. That means Jesus, Peter made really good progress. He didn't just take one step. Ugh. He took steps and came to Jesus. Just at that moment, you see Peter's faith. You see him stepping out with, with this belief that this is Jesus. You see that everything that God calls us to do is always going to be outside of our comfort zones. And so Peter does it. And if the story ended there, so far so good. It would have been beautiful. And then it says this. Verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he saw the wind, the tormented wind, the, the harsh wind. The Greek word is eskyros wind, violent winds. He was afraid, beginning to sink. So those three things happened. So Peter was there. He was right at Jesus. He's walking on water, but he takes his eyes off Jesus, looks at the wind, becomes afraid, even though Jesus is right here and he's on water. And he's having this miracle moment, but all of that is just wiped out because all he could focus on is how bad the storm is. And he sinks. And so, you and I certainly would not have done that. That was a joke. Of course, we're like Peter. Because we still do it today. This is what it looks like. Some of you had a moment in your life where you saw and witnessed and you said, God is real. Some of you even wept and you just, your heart was filled. The Holy Spirit gave you this faith and you believed, boy, everything about God is real. And what happens is we take our faith and then we turn it to the circumstances and the storms of our life. And we forget. We have this amnesia about Jesus being right there. And we're like Peter. We start focusing on what's wrong. We start focusing on what's going to harm me. We start focusing on how is my life going to be different from this. And so some of you are news junkies, and you do this by devouring the news. You read, some of you read the news, the commentaries on the news. You read other news. You check all the websites. And I got to confess, I've been doing that. Man, it is, I'm a news junkie. But don't do this. Don't ever read the comments to the articles. It gets even worse. It's like a, it's like a cesspool of opinions and thoughts. And so we devour ourselves with the storm. And we start losing heart. We start getting afraid. And what happens when you're afraid? You get angry. Oh, you're angry at those people who are not wearing masks and risking your family's life. Or you're angry at those who are wearing masks and saying, they're judging me. They're trying to control me. Some of you, you're angry at going to Costco and you're like, I can't believe it. Disinfectants are not there. I was angry when toilet paper was gone. Why do we need toilet paper to fight a virus? And so we're angry because in a more serious, our friends and families, they're literally dying from a virus and, and families are grieving because they can't even say goodbye. So there's these angry moments. And so we sink not into water. When we look at these storms, we sink in despair. 
because in that moment, Jesus isn't even in my picture. And so we go back to this. Every tribulation has to be seen in the context of Christ's gospel, resurrection, powerful rule, and reign. And the moment life is viewed apart from the risen Savior, every, as soon as I start analyzing and, uh, and fi- figuring out how I'm perceiving this threat apart from Jesus, especially as Christians, we lose sight of the larger picture of the providence and the goodness of God. So, Hebrews writer 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why does he say that? Because this is a lifelong problem. We've been thinking about everything else when Jesus is right there resurrected. And so Peter may not control the winds, but he could certainly have controlled where his eyes fixed on. And that leads us to the second point. How do people respond to crisis? How should we respond? You can't control nature as much as Peter controlled nature. You can't control your world as much as Peter could control the storm. But we can and we must control how we respond to storms by looking at the source, the author, perfecter of our faith, in faith in Christ. So the key to is I cannot control what is happening in the world, but I can respond with faith in Christ. Um, first, isn't it liberating? Can you just say this at home and here, just at home? Just acknowledge, I do not have control of this world. Lord, have mercy. Just, just, just say it. You know it. But at this moment, would you join me in just saying that? God, I cannot control what's happening in the world. Lord, have mercy on me. And just, just stating that is so liberating because we are coming back to reality, not this denial. God is good. Everything's going to be fine. But there's a reality here. There's a lamenting here. We need to honestly declare, I'm grieving. I'm hurt. I'm angry because I try to control it and I can't. God, but you can. And so in crisis, with that starting point, we can follow what Christ calls us to do. And I just want to share a few things. When Christ is in the moment, in the storm with us, there are a couple things we can do. There's many, but I'll just share two or three. First is in Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus gives the Beatitudes. And listen to this Beatitude. Blessed are the meek, not the weak, but the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you know what meekness is defined as? Let me read it for us. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. No matter what happens to us, God is always good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting, in the Old Testament, the meek are those who wholly rely on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. It is letting God accept control and responsibility, turning over to God with gentleness and trust. Weak people can't do that. Meek people are strong, faith-driven people who see Jesus Christ in the midst of their storm. And rather than freaking out, rather than running around, rather than saying the sky is falling, we say, Lord, I turn to you. That's meekness. It's this posture of gentleness. And so Christ goes on, and later on he teaches this. In the midst of stressful, strenuous time and storms, we get insulted, we get hurt, we get, 
We feel persecution, which we're not. I don't know why churches in America think we're being persecuted. It's not. We're being inconvenienced. We're being maybe made fun of, but certainly not persecution. But when there's insults, what does Jesus say? Therefore, I tell you, turn the other cheek. What is that? It is to allow others not to retaliate insult for evil. Uh, One of my favorite things Jesus' brother said, and this is the third one, um, is James 1.19. What do we do in this moment of crises? How do we not react? What does it look like to be walking with Christ? Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, Perhaps you've seen the musical Alexander Hamilton, Hamilton for the Broadway show. And I feel like singing it, but I don't want to hurt you, your ears. And the song Aaron Burr, Sir, there's an advice that Aaron Burr gives to Alexander Hamilton, and it's two words. And I love it, because I think this is what my brother used to tell me when I was little. He say, talk less. <laughs> so talk less in a crisis. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. It's a great proverb. Listen to this. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So people who are just jabbering, I think this, I think that, I think that, is a fool. They don't want to listen. They just spew. And that comes from an anxious heart. And we got to turn that over to Christ and say, God, I'm anxious. Lord, give me your calm. Lastly, Verse 31 tells us, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Jesus wants us to believe in him, to trust him in the chaos. Um, Now, I want to end with this. Do you notice when does a storm end? As we kind of wrap up, when does a storm end? It doesn't end when Peter's sinking and Jesus goes, be calm. And then he pulls out Peter he pulls out Peter in the middle of the storm, and they walk back to the boat in the middle of the storm. Jesus doesn't take away the storm. He delivers us in the storm and walks with us through the storm. And verse 32, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. The hope that you and I have in Jesus must be in his presence and our trust and his trustworthiness. Not in that everything harmful in our life will go away. That's not the hope. Sometimes people will die. But the hope is not, may we live forever. We all will die, human. So the hope is not in absence of tragedy, but in the Christ who is with us through these tragedies, who delivers us to the resurrected life where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. And so a lot of us are paranoid and going, who's controlling this? There's an agenda here to get so-and-so. And I love what N.T. Wright says, and let me just share this thought. Conspiracy theories were thriving in the first centuries. Isn't that encouraging? Even back 2,000 years ago, conspiracy. Just as they are today, this is what he says. Jesus pushes them aside Stay calm, he says, and trust in me. Stay calm. 
Trust in Jesus. Hold your hands into a tight ball right now. Just would you just just hold your hands in a tight ball. And so, in your hands as you're gripping it tight, all your fears and angers and stress, all the storms, and you're just clenched up and you're you're crying, you're angry, you're frustrated, and all these things. As we do this, remember these words when. They climbed into the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And as you look at Jesus in the midst of the storm, just let it go and worship him. And say, Even though my flesh be destroyed, yet with my eyes I will see God. That's what Job said. And so in the midst of storms, we don't pray, just pray that the storms go away. We should pray that. But after we pray that, our deep assurance is, but Jesus, to see you in the middle middle of everything here is all that I need. You delivered me on the cross from sin and death. You can deliver me always. And so let's pray, God. As our hands are released and as we worship you, may fear be displaced by worship, adoration, praise at the marvel of the God, the Father who sent his Son and the Son who rose in glory and the Holy Spirit who renews our faith and heart and who is able to empower the church to be his witnesses. You may not take away the storms, but Lord Jesus, you walk on top of it. You are Lord of it. And we bow down. We surrender. Have your way, God, and lead us through. Our eyes are fixed on you.